0: For having me.
1: You got it. So this is John Hopper and he is the social studies teacher and principal at Grenada High School. And of course we live just outside of Grenada. And so I think this is just a timely time to talk about Amachi. And um, I actually saw on Twitter um, this week that on this day in history, um, I guess it was yesterday or the day before, in 1942 that the first internees arrived at Amachi. So really it's it's a uh, good time to talk about this.
0: Yes, it is.
1: So, John, how did you get interested in history? Where did this start for you?
0: Well, I grew up in Los Animas, Colorado, and uh, I had a couple history teachers that were really good. You know how teachers affect children's lives, right? Yes. And uh, after experimenting with auto mechanics and other things. I ended up at CSU Fort Collins, um, so as a science major. And, ah. and then, uh, uh, psychology as well. And then, uh, history. I mean, I couldn't make up my mind. So I just kept majoring in everything. Uh, but <laughs> history, has always kind of been a passion for me. And, uh, so I, I, was going to keep on going and decided uh, that I was running out of money and I better get back back to reality. I mean, I had uh, probably six or seven years of college already at CSU, and so I decided to get out and teach, and uh, that's what I did.
1: Okay, well. If it's any cancellation, consolation, I know I call you Dr. Hopper just out of habit. So from you know the power that I have to give you an honorary doctorate. There you yeah, go. So you go, yeah. I have to catch no, myself don't. all the time and Mr. Hopper, not Dr. Hopper.
0: Yes, Mr. Yeah, I only have a MA. It's like uh, when people say you're a doctor, you're a doctor, and you are not a doctor. That's me. <laughs> all I have is an MA.
1: An MA. Okay. Yeah. I know I, I have a master's and um, uh, master of science and I just didn't want to keep going. Cause I thought, man, people expect you to be just smart out of your wits. If you're a, if you're a PhD. And so I didn't, I didn't want that. Um, I didn't think I had enough in me to do that. So anyway,
0: well, yeah, I agree with you. I, I didn't want to be, uh, 45 years old before I could get a job either. So
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. It depends what field you're in, you know, if you're employable or not at that point. But true. I would say that you have gotten a PhD at Amachi, really. So when you came to Grenada, what, um, what did you teach when you came to Grenada? And how did you get interested in Amachi?
0: Yeah, when I first, I was actually hired uh, to, to teach at uh, Grenada the day before school started.
1: Okay.
0: And so I had no idea what I would be teaching, um, and I'll be honest with you: the only reason I got oh. I got this job was uh, Dale Curley. I played golf with Dale Curley, who was the superintendent McLeave. and he put me onto this job. So networking works. Yes. Anybody that's listening to this, networking works. But anyway, uh, I I got to Grenada oh. and I, I was 1990, and. Uh, I had a slip on the desk from the former teacher of what I actually had to teach. So I taught uh, world history, U.S. history, civics, government, um, geography, economics, all the the history. Uh, You call it, I mean, uh, high school U.S. history was, I think that's the key because it's gonna be, eventually it'll be my U.S. history class, not right away, understand, it's going to be two or three years down the road. Where, um, while getting my my master's, actually, that I decided that we needed to do something um, else at Amachi, and I had some really bright students, and I said I wanted to do a project with them, and and that's how it started.
1: Okay, so where where did you get your master's degree, and did they encourage you to kind of pursue something there?
0: Now, uh, Adam State University, and no, um, they really didn't. Um, when I was going through that that program, understand though. Um, back in even in the early '90s, uh, Amachi really wasn't in the forefront of any kind of a history thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be. I hate to say this, but uh, it was O.J. Simpson's trial that uh, because the first judge when he got indicted was uh, Judge Ito, and he was tied to some of these confinement camps, that there was a little bit more of a pick up to uptick with that. And... uh, And that was in what,
1: 92?
0: Yeah, somewhere in there, 92, 93. Um, And then when that happened, I had these students doing I, I we started uh, working on getting primary sources and interviews, which was very difficult. Because there were very few Japanese Americans still in the area mm-hmm. that were from Amachi. Um, but I uh, close family uh, that I had known in, in uh, Los Animas, uh the Namura family. Uh Emory Namura and Ty Namura both were Adamachi, so I knew I could we could interview him, and that's what we started doing. And he put us onto other people.
1: That and networking thing that you talked about.
0: There it's all about networking. You gotta know the right people.
1: That's right. And it just and that's if, true. If they,
0: yeah. Right, if they don't trust you, you you're not going anywhere with it.
1: hmm That's true. And I think that that you all have become a very trustworthy voice in trying to document what happened and, and help other people learn about it as well. So from that point, when you started doing um, student interviews with people who had been interned at Amachi, where did it go from there?
0: Uh, We went from there. We actually started to build up a, um, repertoire of stories and information and a few artifacts we were uh, I I tied in I made this a uh, it wasn't just history I made it a uh, co-teaching deal with the math teacher at the time and she she took the students uh, my same students to Amache to measure everything out and then start building a model of Amachi, and then we started to uh, actually do presentations to local school districts, which gave us our first, uh, I guess, notoriety in, in a sense, because once we started doing that, then other school districts were, you know, hey, if you're you're doing that, could you do it for us too, you know, so.
1: Oh, yeah, that's wonderful, because, you know, I don't, I think I remember seeing a sign, and I grew up, you know, just... At Sheridan Lake, um, but I never knew much at all about Amachi. and never visited the site and I graduated from Plainview in like 95. So you would have had some of the kids, you know, that were my age um, when, you, when you first got here. Um, and so, you know, and I grew up right next to Sand Creek Massacre too and honestly I still have so much to learn um, from that. And so I think we've got these, these very historic sites right in our backyard and our students locally should know the most of anybody, you know? And so I think what you've done is just really wonderful because it just combines learning and it's um, experiential and you've done so many different projects over the years with Amachi. But I guess if we go back in time just a little bit, tell us a little bit about um, how Amachi came to be, and why it's so significant.
0: From the history standpoint of Amachi, uh, it uh, well, as as you were saying, I mean, uh, this this uh, site will open on August twenty seventh, nineteen forty two. And that came from the signing of Executive Orders 9066 and February 19th of 1941 to uh, relocate all Japanese Americans and Japanese Issei and Nisei from the West Coast, inland. Now, our particular, our governor at that time, Governor Carr, didn't want any of these confinement sites here, but he was going to be outruled by one of our federal senators. And um, so what he did was, which didn't fare well, he was going to be the only Western governor to invite Japanese Americans actually to the state of Colorado. Mm -hmm. He will also hire women out of Amachi to actually work his mansion. So, yeah, so he's, he's going to stand up for their um, civil liberties as much as he could, um, which cost him politically. Uh, because, you know, when you're going against the grain politically, uh, you're most likely not going to be reelected. Now, he did not run for governor. He ran uh, as a uh, for senator of the state but was defeated and that pretty much ended his career. Mm -hmm. So um, that uh, Governor Carr in itself is a big um, reason why Amache is different than uh, some of these other confinement sites. Also um, Amache, one of the smallest, is the smallest of all of the 10 confinement sites, but had the largest volunteerism to the United States military. From here, than all the other sites, 31 men will die fighting for the United States of America. From Amachi, one Kiyoshi Narmaga will actually get the Medal of Honor for fighting for the United States. And that's that's the big mural that we have out in front of our uh, museum is his, his portrait. Mm-hmm. Um, so lots of uh, MIS people, Military Intelligence Services will fight uh, for the United States in the Pacific Theater from Amachi um, uh, as interpreters, as interrogators, as uh, first person off the, off the landing craft on a beach uh, screaming in Japanese to surrender that we do take uh, prisoners, which the Japanese soldiers were told that we never did. Oh. Uh, yeah, and uh, they also took, uh, you're, you're gonna have an individual from Amachi that uh, in the MIS will actually parachute behind enemy lines in Southern China to free uh, some Doolittle raiders as the war was ending, because we, we didn't know, the United States didn't know what the Japanese might do to those the Doolittle, the famous Doolittle Raid, uh, leader, uh, Raiders that got caught. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of history. There's a lot of different history. The largest, uh, the largest rice grower of the United States, the Kadota Farms, who still is, uh, had to come here, um, you know, you had, Broadway a future Broadway actress from Amachi and uh, so there's a lot from a history standpoint there's a lot that I mean we can go on and on and on but that separates it.
1: That's right it wasn't Christy Yamaguchi's parents here that story okay and so we know Christy Yamaguchi was a you know Olympic ice skater um, 20 years ago or whatever it was now um, and so there are a lot of stories. Now, what about one of the guys on Star Trek?
0: Okay. Well, George Takei, um, which was Commander Sulu, not not necessarily at Amachi, but friends with Pat Suzuki to this day, who was at Amachi. Okay. Now, George Takei, um, if I recall, his family are going to be uh, what we call the no-nos and will be uh, – sent to tule lake so there's a there's a differences there's differences uh, between no no's and yes yeses and it all has to do with the questionnaire uh a yes. the questionnaire, yeah
1: so you the, it's kind of a catch 22 for them on the no no's right because they what were the questions they were asked
0: uh the, the the 20 27 and 28 were the ones that were the sticky points the uh, 27 was um would uh, you you would be willing to fight for the United States military. Um, Some of the uh, Issei fathers are saying, you know, if if we're going to be behind barbed wire, probably probably no on that. Um, And then um, also that's 28. um, They had to um, make sure that they swore they they had to swear off all allegiance to Japan. Which again, 98 plus percent of the Japanese Americans did, but some of the Issei are uh, were in a kind of a catch-22 because um, the United States at that time had a policy of no not allowing anybody. Uh, it was an anti-Asian immigration and not allowing any Asians, and that that's any Chinese, um, Filipinos, uh, etc., to having U.S. citizenship. So some of those issei are um, were kind of in a catch-22. They said if if they said yes to that, and the United States decided to go ahead and deport the Japanese Americans anyway, um, they were stateless. So where were they going to get deported? Because they just swore off uh, Japan. I mean, so it scared some of them because they didn't know what to do. Um, so it, un- unfortunately, some of them are going to get deported. Yes. Uh, the, no-nos, the no-nos will be uh, deported back to Japan. Some of their their, their children, many of them, uh, couldn't even speak Japanese. So, uh, so many, some actually came back to the states uh, after the war, if, if they lived through it.
1: Yeah, uh, it's just a tricky, a tricky window into history. And um, my my grandpa fought in World War II and grew up in Southwest Oklahoma. And he would never, I bought a Japanese car, I bought a Toyota and he still had in his mind, he would never support anything Japanese, you know? So it's just tricky. Um, and I think what, what was it that our president, um, after Pearl Harbor, what was it that drove him to this decision?
0: Um, well, just like any president uh you you have to rely on because we're a huge country right
1: right right
0: you have to rely on uh the people that you have in high places to give you the correct information to go on and at that time there was a general on the west coast that thought that it was best to get japanese and japanese americans off the west coast uh, for security reasons. Um, so that's, that's where, uh, President Roosevelt, um, that with, uh, General DeWitt's, uh, wish to he signed the executive order of nine zero six six. I mean, there, there were zones you even start where they started with the military zones where they just kept pushing Japanese, and Japanese Americans, further away from the coast. And then they, they finally just said, no, it's enough. We're going to just, we're building camps for you and you're going to go.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. And, you know, there were other people as well. You mentioned a lot of people who were here, but a lot of well-educated doctors, lawyers, and um, professors. Wasn't there a professor at Stanford who maybe came out here? And so these were highly intelligent, very professional people. There were also farmers and um, people in all facets of life, but it's amazing um, when they came here, they couldn't bring any, uh, they could bring what one suitcase maybe with them, but they had to find a, they had to either sell everything off before they came or put them maybe in the hands of a church that would protect their, their assets during the war and what was that like for them to kind of pack up everything and come? i know i've i've said in some of your presentations before, and it's just amazing to me and um read some books and things um but just you know kids were pulled out of school little by little, family by family and um and sent somewhere else so what what did that look like
0: yeah the they basically, uh, when that notice came out, they many of the families had, had about two weeks to liquidate what they had or try to put in storage what they had. I mean, there were there were uh, a set of farm uh, farmers, Japanese American farmers, in uh, one area. I'm not trying to I'm trying to remember. Uh, might be the Sonoma area mm. of California, but it. Mm-hmm. I could be lying. I got to remember the Valley area, but anyway,
1: oh, the San Joaquin could, is that, or no, Could
0: could be, okay. they, they quickly uh, band together all these little farms and got a Caucasian overseer to keep the farms going. And they, they left and they actually came back uh, The uh, White, the uh, Caucasian overseer actually uh, improved on the farms, and but uh, all the profits in the banks, all their banks were there. Their houses were in immaculate condition, and they were able to pick up. But that was that was a rarity. Most That's of them, true. most of them will lose everything. They'll lose their farms. They'll lose their businesses, uh, dry cleaning businesses, uh, fruit stands, strawberry farms, uh, truck farms. Uh, you name it, they lost it, and. Sold what they could, unfortunately, uh, because, unfortunate, um, other people at the time knew that these Japanese Americans had to leave. Um, so when they were actually trying to sell their cars, which were uh, you know newer newer models, 1939 models, um, which were probably worth anywhere from $1,000 to $1,200, they were only getting $300 for them. So, you know, some, a lot, a lot of instances they were getting taken advantage of. Like you said, they'll put uh, a lot of their things in storage areas. um, And and to come back to that, a lot of those were broken into and taken their homes are going to be taken over. Farms will be taken over. Um, I think it was, Three, or three years ago, maybe, uh, Seattle Hotel had uh, tons of Japanese-Americans in Seattle uh, had taken their belongings to the basement, and they, they were stored there. And the National Park, they never went back and got them. So uh, many tons of stuff in this basement, and uh, the National Park was able to get a grant to actually start looking at it. Wow. So yeah, you know, and then and then what you're going to have is a, a forced uh, a forced migration, eventually is what you can see because when when these confinement camps closed, they didn't just go straight back to California. Many did, or or to the West Coast. A lot of them were finding jobs in in Chicago, Omaha, Boston, New York. So a, you're going to see a a, a large uh, migration of Japanese-Americans east uh, as well.
1: And I know some of your biggest supporters um, that have helped with efforts to educate and pour some money into the preservation efforts. Weren't there two brothers maybe on the East Coast, on the east Coast um, that became basically shipping tycoons?
0: Yeah, I was... <coughs> <Excuse me. laughs> The father actually started it and the brothers have taken it over, but yeah, the Sugahara family. Um, um, in fact, I think their offices are still located in the Chrysler Building in downtown New York. Okay. In fact, I know they are because I just sent uh, sent some information to them at that same location. Yeah,
1: just, just the resilience I think is what, what um, comes to mind for me. How you can be imprisoned against your will and have sons that go and fight um, for the American war effort while you're imprisoned um, for being an American citizen with Japanese ancestry. Mm. It's amazing to me that they were able to go and fight and support that. Um, When they got here to Amache, what were the living conditions like for families? They didn't didn't have their own single-family homes. They were put into barracks and Just tell me a little more about that, what that looked like for their day-to-day lives.
0: Yeah, well, you understand. So February uh, 19th of 41 is when 9066 was signed. This Amachi will open up on February, I mean, uh, August 27th of 42. So, I mean, you can do the the math on um, how quickly they got this going. So the, uh, these barracks were, you know, prefab, they, they they slapped them up pretty quick. No running water, uh, one light bulb in the middle, no insulation, no privacy, The uh, no interior walls, no interior closets. Um, so when the Japanese Americans came, I mean, eventually, the longer they stayed, the more they started working on some of the inside of these barracks and they... They got uh, some whiteboard to be uh, at least put that up uh, again. Still without insulation, but at least they got some whiteboard up. They started hanging army blankets to separate uh, the uh, rooms uh, so that uh, there's a little bit more privacy between uh, the kids and the and the parents and the other siblings. Um, crowded, obviously. Um, they had uh, wooden army cots to sleep on with army blankets. Again, uh, some of them will start building their own bunk beds out of scrap lumber and ordering mattresses and beds from uh, Sears and Roebuck catalogs to uh, try to make it more uh, homely. They built their own furniture out of scrap lumber. So they built dressers, which we have In the museum. We have a lot of homemade furniture in the museum now. Um, And then they had uh, brick lined floors and then they had communal restrooms. So um, it was about 125 people per toilet. It didn't have partitions between the toilets, there were three toilets. The Japanese Americans will uh, again build uh, small partitions between the toilets to give a little bit more privacy communal shower mm-hmm. communal everything so so basically for three and a half years there, there really wasn't any privacy mess halls everybody ate together and you know just like uh, i i can imagine my my children would do the same thing they, they would go off and eat with their friends i would we would go off and eat with our friends even in a mess hall i mean it, it, it was privacy was little to none and um families were not able to have their you know like we do your sit down uh family dinners and you can talk mm-hmm. privately you had to do that inside the barrack but then again without insulation and any anything between the uh the uh, barrack uh, rooms uh you <laughs> you could have a baby that was colic uh crying from one end of the barrack you could hear it from one end all the way to the other end yes. so Yeah, pretty rough.
1: And Japanese are are typically more private people, anyway, right? Would you would you say that's true or not?
0: Yeah, I, 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 mm -hmm. yeah, they're not, they're not as, uh, yeah, they're they're a lot more private, I believe. Uh, I mean, the ones that I've dealt with over the years, um, from a cultural standpoint. they, they usually do and try to stay to themselves as much as possible. Mm-hmm. But you're, they're going to make a lot of acquaintances and there's going to be marriages and deaths and everything else because the Japanese Americans at that time, I mean, you're, you're talking about 121,000 on the West coast. And that was the majority of Japanese Americans in this country at the time. So when you start putting them in these confinement camps, all of a sudden, a lot of Japanese Americans are going to be coming together at one, at one area that's like, wow, we didn't know they're, you know, so they're, they're right. going to make acquaintances as well.
1: As well. Yes. And so they also had, um, didn't they have Boy Scout troops and mm-hmm. try to do some things for morale. They had a, a football team and uh, they built a high school. And from, from what I've seen, you know, over, I guess, over the period Amachi was open. There were about 10,000 uh, Japanese Americans that kind of passed through here, um, but about, what, 8,000, to 8,000 at one time, which, you know, now would be the size of Lamar, which is our biggest town locally here, um, and so it was just a whole lot of people outside this tiny town of Grenada, um, and so they did play high school sports and play some of the local teams. I know that you have a funny story about some, some of those Times
0: where they played, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> our former governor, that grew up in Holly, Colorado, uh, Roy Romer, and his uh, football team uh, from Holly actually traveled to Amachi to play. One of the very few schools in the area that agreed one to even play the Amachi team, but two to go to Amache and play. So, I mean, that was a, a tremendous feat for Holly uh, School District at that time especially to go to Amache to play. And at that time, you know, the uh, the Amache team had, they were undefeated with the teams that they were playing. But understand, you know, you, you had a high school of, man, uh, Six or 700
1: Mm -hmm.
0: where the high schools in our area were extremely small. So they had, you know, more athletes to pick from. But like the Japanese Americans would say, you know, the average size of us are, you know, five, nine. And we were, we were playing a lot of farm boys that were six, two and six, one and huge. Uh, so they would use, uh, so we would use our speed and they would use our brawn, but anyway, uh, Holly was undefeated at that time. And they, they played to a stalemate till the end of the game. Uh, and Amachi, uh, had a trick play that really wasn't supposed to be a trick play, but it ended up being a trick play and, uh, they won at the very end of the game and, and they ended up winning seven to zero. Um, so it was, uh, one of those, one of those deals.
1: Did they play Wiley too? I thought maybe there was a story about Wiley or McClave.
0: No, they, um, actually the, the Wiley uh, School District at that time uh, didn't want them to play. Okay. So they didn't play, yeah.
1: They didn't do that, okay. Well, I know that they, the farmers that were here um, did a lot to improve or they did things different than our local farmers did. So what are some things that they did that actually increased production? And I guess um, we should also talk about when Amachi was established, um, what happened with the local land around Amachi, and how did that impact the local people?
0: Well, we can start with that. So uh, the other interesting item from Amachi is it's gonna be the only one of the confinement centers that are going to is going to be on private land. Uh, all the other ones were either on government land or Native American land um, so the, the u s government's going to come in and purchase the land from local farmers and if they didn't want to sell it from local the local farmers that want to sell it they 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 condemned it so they intimate domain and uh, so a lot of a lot of families and farmers in the area are going to have to relocate. Um, I know the, the uh, Hanson family had to relocate to Los Animas because I ended up uh, graduating with uh, one of, he was, he was a Parks at the time, but one of them. And his, it was his, uh, his grandfather, uh, Niels Hanson, that had to, had to leave because he lost his land to Amachi. now did that mean that uh, the people around were upset with Machi people no no they, again i mean it wasn't it wasn't the japanese americans that condemned the land it was the u.s government right and then to make matters worse when the the camp was closed they sold it to the highest bidder instead of to the back to the original owner anyway so let's just compile that shall we then uh <laughs> You know, what's the, the second phase? Oh, growing. So yeah, the Japanese-Americans now, I, I learn, I keep learning. And I, I just learned this uh, a couple of years ago, maybe two or three, maybe four years ago, from a Japanese-American who, uh, he said that, he said some, some of the Los Angeles, because a, a lot of people from Adamachi were from um, inner city Los Angeles. Uh, And then the rest were from Merced County area and were farmers. And he made a a very interesting comment. He said, do you understand that the Japanese American farmers uh, assimilated into the uh, white culture of the United States quickly? And uh, they, they were moving right along into the assimilation of the white culture. Now, us in Los Angeles, that's a different case. We, we, we were still true and, and stuck to a little bit more of our culture. Um, but we, a lot of us were the doctors, the, the dentists, the nurses. When this camp was built, a lot of the Merced farmers are going to come to this camp. And they're going to farm this area. They're going to, you know, that's going to be their job. They're going to farm. We were brought, he said, we were brought as a support group to the farmers. Mm. And I said, I, I didn't realize that. He said, yeah, we were the support group for these farmers who grew enough food to ship to the other confinement centers that did not have the irrigation ditches that uh, Amache had. Amache had the Lamar Ditch, the Manville Ditch to irrigate a lot of their uh, land. So they were able to ship out by rail a lot of their produce uh, to these other camps that couldn't grow as much Mm. and and help them. Um, They also grew things that local area people didn't think that they would grow that well. Uh, like Hibaka tea plants, celery. Um, they grew tons and tons of celery. They also grew lots of, of course, lots of vegetables. But as we know, uh, vegetables in this area uh, tend to grow very well, anyway. Uh, so, but they grew onions, watermelon, cantaloupe, and that kind of changed a lot of the agriculture in the immediate area. Because um, when uh, when Amachi closed, um, as you know, this area became pretty big in the in the truck truck farming business up until you know several years ago that's
1: right yeah what what was it like for the farmers that went out um away from the camp because the camp was just what a mile by a mile the where the barracks were is that right right and then they farmed how many acres was it was it 8,000 acres or how many
0: oh uh it's I'm going to, there was like 11, almost 11,000 that was condemned, but they also had, they had uh, cattle at the XY Ranch, and then they had hogs and chickens at the Cohen Ranch, Mm. and the rest was farmland.
1: Okay, so there was quite a bit of land. so what was the security like whenever they first opened the camp, and what did that look like, and then whenever they were out working in the fields, and how did it eventually... Change.
0: Yeah, when it, when they first got uh, here, there were eight eight guard towers uh, that surrounded Amachi with ten foot high barbed wire all the way around it, and um, they were manned by the three hundred thirty fifth military police unit. They had German shepherd dogs. Uh, they had uh, fifty caliber machine guns, uh, which they would practice with out in the Uh, actually closer to your farm now and um, it was strict Uh, searchlights etc and uh, if you left if you came in uh, you had to have good reason to come in obviously if you left you had to get a a day pass and a uh, work button Uh, it's a it's a button that they would have to wear so that people can identify him. That's at the beginning. Um, like like some of the uh, guards that we've actually been able to interview, um, they said, you know, as, as the years, as the months actually, yeah, not years, months went by, uh, and with our particular governor that we had and the camp director, Mr. Lindley, Gordon Lindley, um, who set up a government within Amachi of Japanese Americans from each block. Each block had their own representation. Uh, It was ran like a well-oiled machine, he said, and uh, it was not soon that we closed many of the guard towers and only had a few open main gatewise and uh, sides. And uh, He said, uh, the nicest people we ever met, they they came in out of the fields with their produce and kept giving us produce. Uh, We didn't want to turn them down, so our guard towers were full of rotten produce because we couldn't eat it all. (laughs) Uh, So uh, it it became, uh, you know, a a, uh, kind of a, I wouldn't say a friendship, but a, uh, you know, we're into this together kind of thing where actually the uh, MPs started to turn their, their eyes to, to allow the Japanese Americans to bring in things that were not supposed to be bringing, brought in, like like sake, sake wine, which uh, our local druggist at the time was able to get a semi-load of it uh, and sold it out of the back of his shop to Japanese Americans. He also hired two Japanese American ladies to work his shop, too. Hmm. Um, but they're going to turn a blind eye and let things come in. So it it just, but it's going to take a while, you know, war, right after the battle of Midway. I mean, it was obvious to the U S military and to the U S government that it, it was only a matter of time that Japan was, was going to go down on this. So um, that more and more freedoms, more and more allowances to go shopping you know they have a day pass to go to the arkansas river to have a picnic uh work passes there were uh japanese american men that hanging out at the main gate um and there was a pueblo produce farmer that came in and said i i need labor and i need pickers i need this i need that now and he goes i'm in desperate need and and the mps they said they just turned to these guys hanging out at the gate, and they go, you guys got want to go work? And they go, yeah. And they go, well, Pueblo's a long ways away from here. So they just wrote all their names down um, in duplicate forms of all these men and told uh, the uh, Caucasian farmers in Pueblo, here you go. They're yours. House them, feed them, keep them as long as you need them. And so some of those men will end up staying on farms and uh, on the Mesa in Pueblo uh, for the uh, rest of the war. In fact, there's a restaurant that was on 36 lane, uh Fujita's. I don't know if anybody ever ate there, hmm. but he was one of those men. He hmm. ended up working there and then started his own farm and restaurant. What, what did it look like
1: whenever they shut up shop here and um, how long did it take to shut down Amachi, and uh, what just what did that look like?
0: Yeah, it's it's going to take a while, but there was a date that was set uh, for many of these um, confinement centers. the The confinement centers oh. in Arkansas are going to be shut down first, and a lot of those uh, individuals from Roar. Uh, and Jerome are going to be sent to Amache. And uh, a lot of high school students, uh, as they were graduating out of Amache, were allowed to leave to go find work as long as they went east. So what they did was the government would give them a 25, $25 for their pocket and a one-way ticket east to whatever city they wanted to go to. Uh, to find jobs. and that's why you're going to have a lot Japanese Americans living in uh, the inner cities of Chicago and some of these other uh, cities, Kansas, uh, Omaha, Nebraska, They're, that's where they go. Um, and uh, anyway, long story. Um, it started it came down that the date of the exact closing for Machi was going to be October, Uh, October uh, October 15th at the 15th hour exactly so that's that's the uh, official date was 10-15-15 so at exactly 3pm on October 15th of 1945 Amachi was officially closed and the last man at that time uh, a bachelor was shaking the hands of shaking the hand of Uh, Mr. Lindley and he was the last man to board the train to leave uh, this area but you understand that a lot of the Japanese including this gentleman they they didn't have anywhere to go so the government's going to actually basically say you got to leave and uh, they were um, brought here and they were the ones that didn't want to leave because they didn't have anywhere to go they were kicked out they were given a Uh, train ticket back to, um, the West coast. So a lot of these families will end up sleeping in the churches, church basements and whoever could take them in until they could get back on their feet in California and and the West coast. And then, and then, the then the camp is going to be torn down. The buildings will be sold off. Um, and uh, they're everywhere. They're, Holly, Bristol, Hartman, Grenada, Stonington, Colorado Springs, Denver, Los Animas, I mean it going right. on, their City. They're everywhere.
1: Exactly. Wasn't one of the gyms moved over to Lahana?
0: Yep, the uh, high school gym was taken to OJC. Um, unfortunately, it caught fire in the late 50s and burned down, but
1: yeah. and uh, they it- Pretty big hospital on site, right? And that was all, and they had some pretty high-tech equipment for the time?
0: Yep. Uh, I had a 305-bed hospital. They did surgeries. They did, of uh, course, births. Um, and um, they had an X-ray machine. And that X-ray machine will be taken to Lamar Hospital. It would be used in Lamar for about 11 years, I think, after, after Amachi closed. They also had uh, penicillin because it is a federal installation. So where a lot of people in the valley didn't have access to penicillin, um, uh, many of the people on Amachi did have access mm. to penicillin. Mm-hmm. They also had access to other items that um, res- local residents couldn't get, and the and the Japanese Americans opened up their canteen and their cooperative. locals to come up and shop there. So many of our locals here will actually end up shopping at Amachi as well.
1: Interesting. Well, I know when they took down the buildings, um, my husband's grandfather built a house in Grenada with Amachi wood, you know, so um, I think that's interesting. And like you said earlier, whenever the war was over, the locals that, that had the land that was condemned couldn't just come back and buy it at the same price or whatever they they auctioned it to the highest bidder so so i think there were um casualties all the way around um with that i know whenever whenever you started the preservation society and a lot of the projects you've done um you did rebuild a guard tower and the water tower and a barrack Um, and then also you all did some work on the cemetery correct
0: Yes. Uh, I mean, we've gotten, gosh, two, $2 million worth of grants. It wasn't, I mean, I'm not writing it. I'm not the grant guru. Um, we have, uh, a person in Denver that works at Colorado Preservation Inc. Uh, that organization has done a outstanding job for Ramachi. Um, and, um, the, the person that's working with it now, Jane Daniels is doing an outstanding job for us, but she was able to, what happened was we actually, um, local farmer told me that the, um, Yamachi water tower was located on uh, Mr. Fletcher's ranch and he had just passed away. Um, and, uh, that maybe, uh, the family would be up to donating it back to us. And, uh, I thought that would be a great idea. Uh, of course, and and I know your 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 listeners out there. Please please forgive me for doing this to you, but I always have my students call when we need donations because it's harder to say no to children.
1: Yes, and yes.
0: It's easy to say no to me. <laughs> I had one of my students uh, locate the uh, next of Kian, the, the children of, of Mr. Fletcher, and uh, they, they were happy to donate it. And we appreciate that 100%. Anyway, we were able to get that uh, water tower off the uh, ranch, and then uh, the, the National Park System doesn't like reconstructions. Hmm. The Water tower would not be a reconstruction, it would be a restoration because it was original. But we we tied the guard tower to the water tower project with a a grant that uh, George uh, Bush Jr. started. And with that, tying that, we were able to build the water tower and a guard tower at the same time. Then uh, we were going to bring some barracks back from Stonington, Colorado, but that didn't work out. um, And we were able to shift the grant into a reconstruction. We reconstructed a barrack on the on the exact uh, foundation that was there but then we were able to get a grant um to move the 11f right building from underneath the water tower in Grenada back uh to Amachi and we just finished i shouldn't say we the company that was hired by our grant people just finished that uh in June the end of June uh and it was uh three $490,000, $420,000 project, I think, somewhere like that. Wow. So that, that's that been fully restored. So now we have a wreck building, um, barrack building, guard tower, water tower, cemetery. With um, Then we have 50-some signs out there. We have some that are uh, tied to our driving tour that you can find at our website at Machi.org. You can yes. actually download it.
1: Yeah, I just saw that today. I didn't know you had that available. So we'll have to download that um, so we can listen to it when we go around. Um, and as far as the, the other work that you've done, I think a big part of this, which is so wonderful with your students, you have a, a trip that you take how often to Japan and who gets to go and what happens on those trips?
0: Yeah, every every other year, because um, it is expensive, but every other year, uh, former, some former, but mostly Amachi Preservation Society members, current members, um, get to go to Japan. And uh, this was established years ago by a Japanese-American who uh, wanted our members to... Uh, understand the Japanese and Japanese American culture a little bit more, you know, being able to eat sushi correctly, knowing what the difference is between sushi and shishimi uh, culture, the different cultures, how, you know, the customs they are. And, and, and I agreed. I, I mean, that's, that's perfect for, for us because, you know, in Southeastern Colorado, we do not have, <laughs> much in the way of the Japanese-American culture anymore. Yes. So, yeah, we're custom, So I said, that that's perfect. So that's how that started. Once we started going over, though, then the Japanese government found out that we were going over. And uh, the organ- organizers of us going over decided that it was a good time for um, Japan to learn a little bit more about Amachi and some of these other Confinement centers. So then um, my students started to do presentations at high schools and colleges. Um, Is that four or six years ago, I was able to actually send 15 students at one time and they did uh, um, presentations uh, throughout the prefecture that they had to go to, uh, which is a state. And they did it in high schools and and colleges, and then they, and then they uh, get treated to going to like visitors. They they got to go to um, his, historic sites over there, or um, uh, a uh, I guess it's not a zoo because it's a it's a monkey uh, habitat where they actually go in and the monkeys actually climb all over you. They're free to walk up to and touch, and um, and they get to eat uh, raw fish right out of the ocean and raw seaweed right out of the ocean and. Uh, do some, and they live. Uh, they get to stay in the five-star hotels for three or four days, but then they get for the rest of the time. They actually have host parents that they have to live with,
1: mm-hmm. and,
0: and they get divided up. So my students don't get to see, see each other until they get get brought back together to do presentations. And those host parents then take them and teach them customs, and and they live with them. Uh, and then they, they take them around and do things like we would. If we had Japanese uh, visitors here, we would say, well, you know, what, what are we going to do? Well, I'm going to take you to Dodge City and see the Old West, or we're right. going to take you here or there, you know, that's, and that's what they do for us over there. That's,
1: that's yeah. so wonderful. When I look at your, your website, samachi.org, and this reads really like a college program with these, what these kids have been able to do in high school, and they have a, a monthly newsletter um, you've established your Machi Museum, and I know um, you had a smaller building, and then you just, when did you move? Was that this spring that you moved over to the old Main building?
0: Yeah, we actually started just prior to this virus. Um, and just before spring break, we had uh, my students and I had moved over quite a bit of material. And then spring break hit, and of course, then you knew that then all the schools were closed. Um, so the stuff was here most of it, not all of it, but most of it. And, um, um, I started organizing it uh, a little bit at a time myself and, uh, Mr. Former superintendent, Mr. Debono mm-hmm. came in and helped me. So between him and I, uh, we were able to get it up and, Get ready for if we ever got to open again and uh, we finally, the health department uh, uh, started to ease a few things and even now we still can only open uh, for private tours, which we have one later today. Okay. Um, so yeah, we just open, we have a sign out outside for visitors that do pop in to call the number on the on the sign and uh, we'll open the door if, if we don't have any other people in here, but you know we have regulations just like everybody else. So,
1: that's right. Some of the other things I know um, you've been able to bring in. I think some DU students were here. Maybe they come every summer, but at least a couple of years ago. But your but your high schoolers have gotten to do archaeology, historic research. Um, they've helped with the pilgrimage. The pil- pilgrimage that, that comes every year. And um, the restoration maintenance of the camp tours of the campsite grant seeking and public relations. So that's just an amazing program for a high school history program, I think is amazing. Uh, but let's talk about this pilgrimage a little bit. What do um, The attorneys and their um, descendants, how do they feel about a now and when they come back for their annual pilgrimage around it's Memorial Day, right. Uh, the week
0: before, yeah.
1: The um, third,
0: third Saturday of every uh, May.
1: And I've wanted to make it out, um, and one of these years I will. But what, what's the general feeling of people who do come out? I know there are some that would just rather forget it ever happened, and they moved on, and they don't talk about it much. But of the people who do come back out, what are the feelings that they have?
0: Well, they have uh, huge emotions when they come back. I mean, I, I can't even tell you if it's especially if it's their first time back or if they're coming back with uh, an elder family member that remembers a lot of it. This unfortunately for this, uh, this virus came. Uh, I had, I think, maybe four, maybe five 90 plus year olds that were coming back for their last time. This isn't the last trip we're going to come. Um, so, I mean, it's extremely emotional for them to come back and see it. Um, they're, uh, you know, the, the pilgrims have been growing and growing and growing, you know. Uh, and again, family members and family members that were never here, obviously, but their moms or dads or grandpas and grandmas or un- aunts and uncles were, come uh, during the pilgrimage. Locals come, everybody comes, it's, it's, a good, it's a good thing, it's a good program. Um, but they, uh, they're appreciative that the, the locals that show up and, and uh, local um, politicians that show up, they're appreciative that as a whole, this whole area, not, not, not just Grenada, I'm talking the Arkansas Valley area from Holly to Pueblo And north and south from Springfield to far up has taken um, Amachi under its wing Mm -hmm. and have allowed this to grow because what they really, really want, and that's what they tell my students every year, we don't want this to be forgotten. So they're very, very appreciative.
1: I think that's key. Um, And there's and um, so much that we can look at in today's politics and policies and uh, all of that, that I think it's important for us to go back and remember Amachi, and we never want concentration camps again in the United States. Um, True. You look at the border and what's happening down there, and um, I think we, we all just need to learn and be educated, and I think that's where this comes in, Um, with Amachi is currently a National Historic Landmark, and we are really hopeful that it'll become a national park. So um, I know they came to Grenada, I guess, was it early spring, whenever they had some meetings and joined y'all there, and then um, they're meeting with Japanese groups as well. And I think with COVID, they've had to go online, but people can still comment, on the national parks website and but I think you have a write-up on amachi.org about what the questionnaire says and if people want to write to the park service with their opinion that's that's very welcomed so can you kind of just go over what would it mean to be a national park and how would that be helpful for for education?
0: Well you know if you become a national park you bring in a lot more resources. Um, so, you know, as, as it is, um, I, I had two young students that were mowing and weeding at Amachi all, all summer long, you know, it's a mile by a mile. And mm-hmm. I'm trimming trees with uh, hand tools and we're using what we have. Um, if we become a national park and you know a national park can come in and actually clean it up a lot more and make things better um, where you can see the foundations more. So they can bring in a lot more to bear. Unfortunately, right now they can't because the uh, budgets uh, for the national park has, has been blown and you know the, the situation for that. Um, education wise, again, becoming a full national park uh, system uh, you're, you're put on a map a little bit more. Uh, you'll have Sand Creek and Vince Ford. And then if you have a Machi, then you have a trifecta in just a tri-county area here. And uh, that will bring a lot more people to the area. It will bring more um, tourism, more visitors. Uh, you'll have more people at restaurants at uh, more hotel stays, et cetera. So that's, uh, that's the goal there. Um, we're hoping, but uh, uh, there's no promises right now just, just with uh, situations that's going on, as you know, with the government and, and funding, so we'll have to wait and see.
1: Definitely. I think with this study that they're doing, though, they just want to see what's feasible, what makes what makes much unique, and you've talked about a lot of that today. Um, but I would just encourage anyone who listens to this just to, to get on your website, Amachi.org, and you'll find the links where you need to go so you can weigh in. Um, but I don't think we want to lose this part of history. It'll inform our future. And I really appreciate what you have done personally um, and with the school. And I know it doesn't just happen with you. There are a lot of people who have come together um, to make sure that the memory of Amachi stays alive. And so we appreciate all of the people who have um, supported you in your efforts and, um, and that talk about this, maybe not at the site, but wherever they are. And um, I just appreciate kind of what you've done to bring people together on this.
0: Well, thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: You got it. Well, thank you. And I hope you have a great day. Thanks for joining me.
0: You bet. Thank you. And you have a good one, too.
1: All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Sure. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to my mom's podcast today. She had a lot of fun. If you want to read some of the crazy stuff my mom writes about our life on the farm, go to our blog at farmers.com. Have a great day!